This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Women Tech Charge is sponsored by Huawei. 20 years connecting the UK. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Season 3 of Women Tech Charge. I'm Amory Mathadon, your host, and today... I am honoured, actually, to be joined by my guest. Her name is Sunita Groats, and she is Innovation Fund Manager at UNICEF. She works on areas like blockchain and how they can be important to the future of the work of UNICEF. Sunita, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm honoured to have you because your work touches so many different spheres. <laughs> And uh, we don't have much time. We're not going to have much time because there's so much I want to cover. So I'm going to head straight into it. So you're currently an innovation fund manager at UNICEF. You did not, that was not what you wanted to do. That was not where you started off. In fact, I have it on good authority that you studied molecular biology at university. Yeah, I did a degree in biology and with a particular focus on sort of all the things you can't really see with the naked eye. So particularly interested in yeah, infectious diseases and immunology and molecular biology. So that that's where I started off. I guess when we say it like that, then maybe it does link to the UNICEF stuff a little bit. But I don't imagine that that was what you <laughs> thought you were going to end up doing as you were studying that degree. No, I went in because I was good at science. I was interested in science. That's what I could see myself studying for a couple of years, but not really knowing where that was going to lead to. But I partly grew up in India and I um, my mom worked in something similar. So she worked in sort of health communications and I saw the work that she did and she made sure when I was growing up and when we lived in India that I was exposed to people from a lot of different backgrounds, particularly social activists, social justice activists, people who worked for nonprofits, for NGOs and governments. And so I very early on became sort of exposed to this idea of like using your skills for the good, you know, that you can achieve and looking at social social issues. And so while I really enjoyed biology, 
it wasn't what I could see myself doing on a day-to-day basis. I couldn't see myself sitting behind the kind of a lab bench um, and then moved, yeah, more into what I guess would be the traditional development sectors. Okay. So, so that, that first bit makes a lot of sense. And I guess it's your, it's your mom's influence. It's the love of science or the being good at science. Um, and then there's elements of trying to understand how that applies to wider things, to social issues, but also to activism and all the rest of it in a way that kind of biology itself maybe wasn't, it wasn't immediately obvious how you'd be able to use that. How do we then get to the technology side of things? Because you're currently the innovation fund manager at UNICEF. First off, what is the innovation fund at UNICEF? What does it do? It's a fund that we set up about five years ago within UNICEF. And its main purpose is to really provide funding and technical support to startups, but also internally to UNICEF colleagues who want to test how new technologies could support uh, the work that UNICEF does, which basically means anything that can improve the lives of children um, around the world. And so we provide um, seed funding to startups that are looking to develop and pilot uh, technology solutions in particular, and even further technologies that are based in areas that are sort of frontier and cutting edge. So We define them as the technology areas that have sort of a $100 billion market cap and that have the potential to affect a huge number of of people's lives. So we invest in areas like blockchain, artificial intelligence, um, drones. And it's really about using the the skills and the assets and the the advantages that startups in particular have of trying new things, testing new things, you know, being very cutting edge, being courageous that we as the UN system aren't so well set up to do you know we're not we're not exactly known to be um particularly risk-taking particularly innovative i definitely want to unpick that because it's a very risky thing to be funding things i think especially as unicef as a kind of what some might see as an old world charity or kind of very established maybe even traditional kind of organization how are you able to balance that kind of risk-taking, I guess, that's involved in investing in startups? Especially when you mentioned drones, we mentioned blockchain. You know, what? How, how are you able to balance knowing that these aren't just kind of hype words, aren't just buzzwords, and you're not part of that hype cycle, but you're genuinely using new age technologies to solve kind of older, older issues? We were able to identify partners and donors who financially really were willing to provide this kind of funding and fundamentally believed that an organization like UNICEF could only benefit from taking these kinds of risks. And with that investment, with that support comes an acceptance and an understanding that that comes with certain risk, first of all, but also that you can't approach that as you would if you gave to UNICEF's more traditional or core programs, right? It's not like I can predict at the beginning and say, well, 100,000 kids are going to get are going to be going to school that didn't before because of this investment. It's more like, well, we might come out with a successful solution, but we may also not come out with a successful solution. But what I can guarantee is that we'll learn from that investment and it will feed into the success of the overall portfolio. So it's much more taking this portfolio approach and recognizing that one out of 10, two out of 10 investments might be successful in that sense, but that it's the collective that sort of generates that value over time. How does kind of your appetite for risk mean that you're able to I guess, invest in people that haven't been invested already? Like, is that something you see yourselves doing fairly regularly? Yeah, and that's a big focus and part of what we see the purpose of the fund. It's really trying to reorient resources towards countries and people and solutions that may not receive traditional funding, especially from the venture capital world. And so we kind of looked a lot at 
this imbalance of resourcing, right? This imbalance of where where does capital traditionally flow? Who has access to these um, mainstream capital flows? Also, what do they tend to get used for? And also, what kind of solutions or products do they tend to generate? Um, and so all of that led us to designing the fund in such a way that on one hand, it was going to, our our money was going to flow into countries that by a lot of people would be seen as riskier. So we in, invest only in emerging and developing markets. We only invest in, as mentioned, these kind of technology areas that are frontier technology areas. Um, we only invest in very early stage companies because we fit, felt that that's really where there was an investment gap and that those companies in those markets in particular would really struggle to access that kind of financing. Um, and finally, we only invest in solutions that are open source because we believe that we have a role to play in putting technology into public hands, basically, and, and developing and designing them as public goods that are not held and owned by few and therefore are sort of monopolized by few, but that develop products that could be accessed, could be scaled across borders by anyone who has the right skill set. Um, and also importantly, by governments who could scale them more easily if they were designed as public goods and not held in sort of a proprietary way by the few who can then charge high licensing fees, can be really restrictive, can determine even kind of who owns data, who holds it, who manages it, etc. And so, you know, that that desire to look at um, really shifting that imbalance in power and imbalance in resources um, in terms of where the money flows, but also what those solutions can achieve and who they're owned by is is really really fundamental to the to the venture fund or innovation fund, um, and really the work that our whole team does. I love that, and and I love it because I think there's there's so much that goes on when we talk about social, when we talk about charity, when we talk about third sector. There's so much that goes on around, we talk about wealth redistribution and we talk about being able to do good in particular places, but it's almost always a kind of a first layer or a very low level kind of way of doing it. It's always the more obvious thing if we're going to move this money from one place to the other and put it in the hands of, I don't know, the micro entrepreneurs or whatever. Whereas this is saying systematically, the way that we do business, we want to make sure the way that we do charity or the way that we have impact we want to make sure that every level we're empowering that wealth redistribution, whether we're making it you know, part of our system, the way we do stuff, whether it's in the way that we fund and the kinds of uh, investments that we're making. Open source is not something we've spoken about on the podcast before. I don't know, is there a kind of a definition that you want to share or I don't know, like the wider ethos? You've touched on it a little bit towards the end of that last answer, but what? how would you describe open source to someone that's kind of new to tech? Yeah, so open source um, are, refers to a set of licenses that you can place software solutions, designs, content, models, data on that allows sort of the recipe behind those things to be accessible by anybody. And it means that if you're baking a cake, for instance, you can't just buy the cake and eat it. You can see what the recipe is and you could basically, basically make your own cake change the cake to whatever flavor you need um, or make it in whatever quantities you need. And so it gives you access to what's behind the technology so that you can build it and rebuild it yourself. But it also really relies on this ethos of every solution, every data set being um, managed by a community and being inputted by a community. And so you benefit from collective knowledge, collective ownership. Um, and what it very concretely means is that 
um, you can scale solutions more quickly because you're not dependent, let's say, on a single owner to make it accessible or available. You're also not dependent on that single owner to make any adaptations, let's say, or build any additional features that you might need for your particular context. But also what we've actually seen um, through our investments is that there's also business advantages to being open source. And so we've seen that, you know, you can create more sustainable business models. In this day and age, really, if you entirely rely on your IP, it's probably not a very reliable business model. It's very easy these days to copy IP. We see that all the time where products and, and, and services are being ripped off or being copied. Um, and so if, you're, if your business relies just on the fact that you have a secret sauce for your software, chances are your business could go under pretty quickly. Um, and so defining how you generate revenue, how you generate and capture value for your business is quite different with open source. And, and we do think and have seen that that actually can result in sort of a more sustainable long-term profitability for the business. I think it's, it's a broader way of thinking. It's definitely a nice, it's one of, I guess, in theory, it's one of the nicer parts of the technology world, I guess, this kind of open open source aspect community kind of group the support that you've got in 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 those kinds of places the transparency that you then also have on what's being built and um, i know there are kind of there are there are dark and shady sides i guess as with any community there are always kind of wrongdoers and others but i think it's also something for anyone that's learning anyone that wants to come in new to the space kind of open source projects open source hacks open source anything really is always a good place to start because there's so many resources there's so many others that are working on it kind of alongside you and also it's super easy for you to kind of tweak things and edit them slightly and kind of see what happens next and kind of experiment with something that you know is is kind of is open and is but is being used so I, I i definitely love that as a as a concept and thank you for, for bringing it to the podcast women tech charge is sponsored by huawei 20 years connecting the uk when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. The next one is blockchain, which we've covered a little bit beforehand, um, but I want to explore where blockchain meets the UNICEF Innovation Fund. So for the uninitiated, blockchain is something we've spoken about on the podcast before. We did a whole episode actually in the first season, but for anyone that's not listening, I guess blockchain is the idea that you've got kind of a series of what we call blocks that are records, almost like lines in the ledger that are built up over time and, and can be chained together in a way that isn't changeable by others isn't you're not able to play with it you're not able to tamper with it and it's very efficient it's very verifiable and it's very permanent I think that's the kind of the words that we have in the official definition so when we think about having 
a chain of these blocks of these records how does that fit with what's going on and with you at the fund and with UNICEF we identified as a team blockchain as an as a technology that was going to be really big and that was going to hit this organization in a really big way and so this was more an area where we said we need to get the organization to be ready and we see blockchain having a few potential applications to UNICEF's work. One of them is around a new source of funding through cryptocurrencies. Which is that kind of Bitcoin side, which, you know, it's probably the, the, the most known Exactly, part. which is sort of one yeah. application on top of uh, on top of the blockchain, right? And then the other one is around if efficiency savings and improvements. And so UNICEF as an organization has a $7 billion a year budget. Um, and we move products and things as well as services um, and, and money across borders and between countries and within countries at an immense volume. Um, and so anything that we could do that improves our efficiency in terms of bringing those goods and services to the people who need them most, I think is a, is a huge win for the organization as a whole. And of course, blockchain, you know, has the potential to do that. And then finally, looking at how can we improve access to services and information for the people who need it the most? And so are there ways that we could look at tokenizing, for instance, certain services where we improve the connection between the end users, so the people who really ultimately get access to the information services with those who provide it? Is there a way that you can change that economy of how those of how that value is exchanged? So the one that I think might be the most interesting, you asked where does blockchain meet the fund, is very concretely that we've established a crypto-denominated investment fund. And so we're the first UN uh, organization that's able to accept, hold, and disperse cryptocurrency. And so the companies who apply to us for funding can apply to get US dollars and or crypto from us. And so you know, not only are we able to tap into a new set of new source of funding and, and often donors that are very much interested in this idea of exploring new ideas, right, of taking risks, of really using the most cutting edge solutions to solve big problems. But also for us, it's a huge leap in transparency and it's also a huge leap in efficiency. So we're able to make the transfers from the donor to UNICEF and from UNICEF to the startups in a matter of minutes, which usually takes us weeks, if not months, to actually do all the paperwork, do the transfers and be able to have all the necessary kind of auditing and accounting, you know, in place that we need to show where the money has gone. And so that's a really exciting application of blockchain kind of that we've used for our fund and, and are, are looking forward to grow. I think that's that's almost the most obvious one. And, and you kind of talking it through it there makes me wonder why more. I mean, I guess I know why more people aren't doing it. There's element of fear. You know, there, there are there are downsides and there are there are elements of kind of I know there are central banks and a lot of people that are very wary of blockchain. It's uh, Bitcoin sorry, itself and cryptocurrencies. But it does make me wonder, you know, if you're able to do it, if UNICEF has been able to do it, invest the capacity and make it and, and make that a real thing. How much more, again, if we go back to this wealth distribution idea, how much more should that be something that others are embracing, definitely across the charity sector, to say this is a different way for us to disperse funds? And I think most who work in the development and or the charity sector would agree that there's an increased pressure on us to be far more accountable and far more transparent to show you know, where the funding is going. And crypto has the incredible potential to do that, um, that anybody at any point in time can see where those resources have flowed um, and, and, and when. 
The second example, so before we kind of go on to the next bit, because there's so much I want to touch on with you. The second example is the other one that I think is probably what I'd recognize or what if you were going to tell me kind of you're using blockchain or UNICEF was using blockchain, it's the one that I'd have probably jumped to first. So rather than taking on cryptocurrency, it would have been about being able to move services or move things or move medicines or whatever it is in a way that's traceable and trackable that's kind of installed in this in this blockchain ledger. Is is that kind of pretty much it? That's pretty much the use case for, for yourselves. I, I don't know if we can talk through that maybe in a little bit more detail for anyone that's not necessarily familiar with that as a use case. We've, we've looked at that from several different angles. One of them is internally. So you can imagine that every time UNICEF wants to move money anywhere, so that might be to... Um, let's say a nonprofit that's providing some services in, in a given country, or we want to pay even you know, a consultant who's been hired to do some work for us. We've also invested in a few companies that are piloting solutions for vaccine supply chains, for instance. Um, also a company that's looking at how to improve um, prescriptions, medical prescriptions, and how to link better to kind of medical data and giving patients control over their own data through through a blockchain-based solution. So there's a number of different use cases there that we're exploring. Um, and then what's really exciting and, and kind of where we see the potential from our fund is then that we've sort of tested those solutions up to a point and then want to see our own country offices and our programs picking up those solutions and taking them to the next level. So we often work with companies that are doing their first round of piloting, right? So they were the first set of funding that they receive. Um, they have to have a working prototype, but that's often where it stops. So they haven't done extensive user testing, for instance. And at the end of the investment period, they have. And so they can show that their solution shows promising results. And we try and see which ones of our programs, which ones, which ones of our country offices might have a use for that particular solution. And so that's often the next step is to is to match them with um, a country program or also partners outside UNICEF, of course, that, you know, could have use for, for that solution. And I, and I love, again, the, the kind of going meta on this, where it's, it's about kind of uh, supporting early stage um, companies and startups who are kind of in those different markets, but also you're empowering your own country teams at UNICEF who maybe are a side of the innovation fund to understand a little bit more of this and kind of developing their own technical literacy, as it were, to be like, you know, actually, you've worked on this pilot, you understand how this works now. This is a new skill set that you're able to develop that's kind of, it's almost, um, I don't know, activism of the now or 21st century or kind of, um, what do we call it, industrial revolution meets third sector in quite a powerful way that's, you know, I almost don't mind there being the hype <laughs> if we're able to very quickly get to the point where it's being used for change and used for good. It's like, yeah, if we have the hype cycle. That means that UNICEF can do something cool with it or the UN can do something cool with it. And then actually we can solve the real problems rather than using the hype things to create problems. So I, yeah. I don't know, maybe there's like a there's like a cleanup service you're providing maybe in some ways on the tech hype cycles. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very nice way of putting it. Um, I... <laughs> And I think our team is sort of is, is very unusual for the UN. So we, we've brought in skill sets that usually wouldn't be hired at UNICEF and definitely not pushed and pulled together in this constellation. So I have, you know, okay. we have a team of software engineers, UX designers, um, data scientists, blockchain product, you know, developers, etc. And match that with people who are a bit more like my profile, who've come from the development sector or have started, you know, done startups themselves. Um, and so we're sort of trying to bridge that gap often between the startups and this big, big machinery, you know, that is UNICEF. Um, that's, where but the, some... that's where the magic happens, right? 
Yeah, that's where the magic yeah. happens. And it's, and it's in a way, it's also a way of confining that risk, you know, that you spoke about earlier. Our team is sort of set up in such a way that what we do doesn't really jeopardize or doesn't directly put at risk the core work that UNICEF does. I've often been asked, and together with Chris, who co-leads the team and, and co-founded the fund, um, why didn't you could have done this outside? Like, isn't, wouldn't it have been so much easier to just set up this open source technology fund as a standalone fund outside? But it would have not had the potential for impact. It wouldn't have changed the way that UNICEF works. It wouldn't have um, had the the incredible backing of this organization to go to scale and have the kind of infrastructure for those solutions to really take off if we'd done it outside. Um, yes, it probably would have been easier, um, but it wouldn't have, you know, created the same systems change. It being easy, you know, I mean, it doesn't make it any more worth it. I think it's it's one of those things where, yeah, going the easy route, like you're saying, would have limited the impact and the the long term impact as well that's that's possible, but also any challenges you're coming up against, I think it gives you more reasons why it's worth it <laughs> to kind of push through and be like, you know what, there's a UNICEF layer, there's the systems layer, there's the fifteen thousand employees layer, there's the UN layer, and actually then there's the global layer that means that kind of yeah, us doing it on our own. I wish that there were more powerful link cups or kind of proper link ups like that. I think often again. When we see those the fund versus um, third sector kind of impact link ups, they're often are kind of only on one dimension. It's not a multi dimensional one, and it's sometimes it can be quite frustrating to see those things play out and say there's so much more capacity for change and for good to be done if if they'd only joined a few more of the dots up in what they were working on. So um, yeah, brilliant, love it. I'm I'm hoping anyone listening is kind of inspired to look into this a little bit more and also to. Yeah, to think about what you can do in the organisations you're already in to have the same kind of impact. To kind of close, I don't know if we can cast our eyes forward to kind of future Sunita. <laughs> I love that facial expression. It's like, ah! So, I mean, it's not an interview. We're not going to hold you to it. You're kind of, you're not getting a new job based on your answer of where do you see yourself in 10 years. But if we, if we kind of look back, it was originally biology as like a placeholder. It became this social social justice and social the kind of social end of work it's now had technology added into that and kind of multi-layer thinking 10 years down the line 15 years down the line what more are you wanting to achieve and what what more are you looking to is technology still part of what you might end up doing if you kind of honed back that way if given that the name of this podcast is women tech charge i'm guessing maybe that might be it that's why we're here but what what are you looking forward to having finished or having done or having achieved let's say in 10 15 years you know there's always the question i like the least on where do you see yourself in five years exactly there's uh, there's highlights there's lowlights right you need the lowlights for the highlights to to sing more so let me start with maybe what's the simplest for me to answer. I think technology will definitely part of it, be part of it simply because I don't think there's a lot of things you can do these days that have large impact that don't involve technology in some way. Um, in terms of where I see myself, that's a really good question. I think I've, I would love to do more on um, looking at how technology can better empower women. One thing that I think we need to be doing a lot more of is looking at solutions that actually are gender transformative. So solutions that actually sort of challenge and change some of the underlying dynamics that 
you know, consistently exclude and marginalize young women and girls. I think that's something that I could see myself wanting to invest in and explore, you know, over the next 10, 15 years. Come and join the party. We can have we can have a whole other <laughs> podcast on that on that alone. Um, and with that, I think we'll come we'll come to an end on this. We've run out of time. Annoyingly, could have kept on going. Uh, I wanted to know what your favorite food is. Like, there's all these things I wanted to learn about you. I wanted to know where you got your necklace from. Um, but unfortunately, we have to come to an end. So you'll never know, listener. You'll never know. Uh, <laughs> tune into the next episode, and maybe I'll drop it into conversation. Thank you so much, Sunita, for taking time out of the world-changing, life-changing things that you're doing. Thanks so much. It's been great fun. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.